God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Bishop Jane Holmes Dixon was the second woman ordained to the order of bishops in our church. And she used to say that Episcopalians love this verse, Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Episcopalians love this verse, she said, but too often we get it backwards. Episcopalians tend to do mercy and to love justice. Isn't that true? I was at a meeting of leaders from around the Episcopal Church in eastern Missouri this week. The room was a mix of ordained folk, lay leaders, telling their stories about the church's impact on their community. And the questions that prompted the discussion was simple. What difference would it make if your church no longer existed? Who would notice? That was the question. The stories told were largely about feeding ministries, school supply drives, rental assistance, clothing ministries. We do a lot of mercy in the Episcopal Church. Mercy is good. Love mercy. But I wonder how many churches, how many Episcopalians, how many Christians these days are doing justice. I know that I am more comfortable when I am doing mercy than when I am doing justice. I'm better at mercy. And doing justice is difficult work. It's costly. Justice takes time and energy. Doing justice often involves tears and loss. Doing justice often means arguing with a neighbor, whether in the street or in your pew, Doing justice can be divisive. Dom Helder Camara, the Roman Catholic bishop in Brazil, was famous for his work among the poor. He was also famous for his observation. When I give food to the hungry, they call me a saint. When I ask why the hungry have no food, they call me a communist. Justice and mercy are tied together. Mercy tends to the immediate symptoms. Justice digs at the roots, at causes. Justice takes time. Justice takes patience. Justice can be infuriatingly slow and imprecise. As we hear these words from Micah about what the Lord requires, We're gathered just after our annual meeting as a parish, a time when we look at our values, when we take stock. In my report at the meeting, I talked about the ways we are getting toward the goals set by our vestry in conversation with members of the parish. The goals are based on three values that we share, values discerned in community through conversation. Those three values are welcome, diversity, and community. In the coming weeks and years, I wonder, will our goals need to shift? The change in Washington is seismic. The tone of our national conversation has shifted so quickly. 
The world around us is changing and fast. What does this change mean for our goals, for our purpose, for our mission as a congregation? What does the Lord require of us here, now? A couple of thoughts based on early observations. Now, perhaps more than ever, our values matter. Together, we discern three values for Holy Communion. We value welcome, diversity, and community. And so creatively, your vestry mission statement describes our church as a welcoming and diverse community. (laughs) I wonder whether those words got more political last Friday. We are a people who pray in the Episcopal Church. We are a people of a prayer book, and that prayer book invites us to pray for our country and our country's leaders. But how are we to pray? I will pray for our country in these coming days, these coming years. I will pray that we learn again to be community, that we heal the wounds of division sown through a long, embattled, and at times vulgar campaign. I will pray that we come together as a community. In the words of our prayer book, I will pray that God might break down the walls that separate us and unite us in bonds of love. But if we don't come together as a nation in the coming years, here at Holy Communion, our values require that we learn to come together, that we build bridges, not walls. Here at Holy Communion, our value of community, a value that challenges us, to build up the body of the church and reach out to our wider neighborhood. That value of community means that we must seek. We must seek to bring people with different backgrounds and viewpoints together. We will break bread together sacramentally at this table and over everyday kitchen tables. We will get to know our Muslim and Jewish neighbors. We will talk with people with whom we disagree. We will come together as a community. I will also pray that our country embraces diversity. The American people was never one race, one ethnicity. Americans are a people made strong by our different genders, orientations, abilities, perspectives, colors, religions. We are stronger because we have so many perspectives. I will pray that our leaders embrace the full breadth of human diversity we are blessed with in America. But if our national leaders do not live into America's promise, Holy Communion must continue to embrace diversity. When necessary, we will learn to check privilege. We will listen for the voices being silenced in wider society. We will learn to live together and to see one another as sisters, brothers, children of the same God. And I will pray that our country welcomes all. A year ago, a year ago, I was at a rally for Syrian refugees here in University City. St. Louis is a city that has profited from an influx of new citizens. There were signs that said, bring them here. We know what a benefit a refugee people can become for our area. We've been blessed by the influx of Bosnian neighbors in recent years. It's been an economic boom. Rabbi Susan Talvey of Central Reform Congregation spoke to the rally. And she said this, 
America's welcome to refugees is our best story as a nation. God knows we've got a lot of stories as a nation. But our welcome to refugees is our best story. Those words on the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, that's America's best story. I will pray our leaders continue to tell our greatest story, our story of welcome. But if they don't, well, Holy Communion's story of welcome may have to get a little bit bigger. We're good at welcoming strangers to our church. Visitors often tell me how people made sure they knew where to sit, where the coffee was. They were even invited to join somebody in their pew. We're good at welcome. People who visit us for worship are invited to come to Theology on Tap or the next guild meeting. We are a welcoming congregation. But our welcome may need to get bigger. I've spent most of this sermon on one verse from the prophet Micah. The Gospels also, admittedly, one of the Bible's greatest hits. The Beatitudes, Jesus' surprising list, blessed are the poor of heart, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. His list is so surprising. What we missed this morning in this well-known list is the setting of Jesus' sermon. Just two verses before Jesus sits down on the mountain with his disciples, the Gospel tells us where these crowds come from. This is two verses before our gospel started today. So Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all the sick, all those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and later he sat down. Jesus' words this morning, perhaps Jesus' most famous teaching, the Beatitudes are taught in response to his encounter with a suffering Syrian people. The irony is strong today. As our new president has declared, Syrians are ineligible for entry to these United States. And so I stand in this pulpit with the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church and leaders from every denomination I can count to say that that is an un-Christian move to deny Syrians entry based on nationality. What does it mean to be a people who follow Jesus today? What does it mean to be a Christian who believes in welcome today? I wonder if our church is being challenged to live this value more deeply. Just this week, two of our parishioners started work on the house that's right behind our congregation, just on Gannon Street. While we're in the early stages, we're demolishing walls and planning what the new kitchen will look like, we are dreaming about whether that house might one day house a refugee family. What if welcome doesn't just mean making sure a visitor knows where a bulletin can be found? What if it means welcoming someone who is new to our country, who's escaped a war-torn reality, or the violence of gangs in El Salvador? And in the next four years, maybe we won't be able to partner with an organization to welcome a refugee family. 
it may be impossible in the coming years. So maybe our house will welcome an undocumented immigrant who's received a deportation order. Maybe welcome will mean coming with them to immigration court. Maybe we will welcome a mother who has escaped domestic violence. Maybe members of this congregation will do justice, will live welcome when we show up as character witnesses in court to help her keep her kids. I will pray for our country in these coming years. And yes, part of that prayer includes praying for our elected leaders by name. The prayers we use here at Holy Communion have the form of praying for our president and our governor by name. I know that this is hard. I've watched the leaders struggle with it. We pray for Donald, our president, and Eric, our governor, just as we prayed a few short weeks ago for Barack, our president, and Jay, our governor. We don't shift the wording because the office holders and the party has changed. But let me say one thing about why. I think the word our is important in these prayers. As I said to you the Sunday after the election, possessive pronouns are important in a democratic system. Possessive pronouns remind us to whom our government officials are accountable. The presidency does not belong to him, it belongs to us. The White House is public housing. Our president, our governor, our elected representatives hold our government in trust, and they are accountable to us. We have a right to speak. We have a duty to dissent. We have a responsibility to hold our elected officials accountable. The word our reminds us of our responsibilities around these office holders. Doing justice may find us in the streets and in the courts in the years to come, as we demand that our leaders, the leaders we pray for, hear our voices and take us into account. I don't know all of what will be required of us in the years ahead as we seek to do justice. I do know that members of this congregation are already asking important questions. I was amazed by the number of folks who showed up downtown for the Women's March here in St. Louis and the number of you who got on buses and airplanes and went to Washington, D.C. I was thankful for the group that gathered in our lounge last Sunday after church to talk about the next steps. We will continue to gather and to welcome those from beyond our congregation who want to ask with us, how can we love mercy and do justice? I know that sometimes you may need to push me as your priest. I am really comfortable doing mercy, but I get a sense that doing justice requires more. I will say by way of conclusion that at least at Holy Communion, I fully expect that the years ahead will also include a healthy dose of laughter and of fun. You can't go far at Holy Communion without hearing someone laughing. It helps that Charlotte Gage laughs so loudly. <laughs> but whether it is one of the guild members giggling after a funny observation somebody made about the Bible or one of the books they're reading, or it's the youth group playing flashlight tag and running through our hallways in the dark, 
There's a sense of fun in this church. I pray that the laughter continues as long as I serve as your rector. I have a sense that it will. As I typed up this sermon, I was wearing a bright pink hat with pointy ears. (laughs) Knit for me to wear in last weekend's march by a member of our congregation. I look ridiculous wearing it. (laughs) But it is warm. Even as we do justice, may we never forget to be playful. If our church disappeared, I hope part of what our neighbors would miss would be the laughter, the joy. I don't just say that offhand. The last requirement from Micah is to walk humbly. Laughing is key to humility, I think. If you can't laugh at yourself, can you really be humble? As we seek to be a welcoming and diverse community, may we always be playful learners. May we continue to learn to do what the Lord requires, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen.